The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Matt Liner, and you're listening to Reign of Troy Radio. Reign of Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Could I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Get Michael Castillo on the phone. <laughs> Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe USB is five and seven and not going to a ball. Oh. All right, Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Here's your host, Michael Castillo. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 352, coming to you on good old Christmas. We are previewing USC and Iowa in the Holiday Bowl, the 10th matchup between the Trojans and the Hawkeyes. We give you our game predictions, talk it out, break it down, and so much more here in this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Reign of Troy at fansign.com, and our phone number is 213-373-1USC. Second What's Bruins show, Elise you just missed her cue and I don't know what the hell happened. I was totally off in my own world. You were. I apologize to all of the people. We're back in the studio I mean, and you just completely dropped the ball. I was like nodding my head along with you, like doing the whole cadence and then... I'm literally like waving my hand like, okay, are you ready to, to do this? Uh, and I failed. I'm sorry. Wow. 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 <laughs> yeah, like, I, 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 I don't know. It's, what... been a, it's been a while since we've been back in the studio, so. This is I true. Lost my touch. This is true. We are back in the studio here uh, in LA recording this before we head down to San Diego for the Holiday Bowl. Uh, it should be fun because not only do we get to see USC one more time this season, I don't know if that's totally going to be fun for everybody, but we will be there on Friday night, USC and Iowa in the Holiday Bowl. But on Thursday night, it is a meetup, our Holiday Bowl meetup, 6 p.m. Thursday night, December 26th, Boxing Day, 
at the local eatery and watering hole in downtown San Diego, 1065 4th Avenue, 6 p.m. We'll be there. Uh, come stop by, talk about USC football, talk about whatever else is on your mind. I'm sure we will be uh, down to uh, chat about it. Hey, if any Star Wars fans out there, I will be very open to conversing about, about the Rise how of Skywalker. terrible it was and how that uh, ending was just brutal. They uh, just ruined says, the trilogy. Says somebody who has not watched the movie. Uh, I, on the other hand, loved it. You've so seen one science fiction movie you've seen. Them if you loved it, if you hated it, whatever you want, let's let's talk some Star Wars. Um, I still have, I need to finish the Mandalorian. Or at least catch up to the Mandalorian. I'm a couple episodes behind, so the Star Wars. Wait, stuff isn't that so. the car that they drive in the Back to the Future? The Delorean, yes. Yeah, isn't it the same thing? It's it is not the same thing. No. Oh, I thought it was like a crossover. You're gonna get more people mad at you for not knowing these things jokingly, like people got mad at you for what was it, RoboCop? <laughs> I, I, I got I got tweets about how I didn't know how me saying that RoboCop was was based on uh, on Terminator. Terminator was based on RoboCop. Um, proved that my my movie opinions are bad. I don't know why anyone takes anything you say seriously. Like, I surely don't take it seriously. So, <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, but one thing we do take seriously are the feedback that we get in our annual survey. Uh, we are doing it again, yet again. Uh, our survey that we put up every single year in the show notes on whatever podcast app you're listening to or what have you, there will be a link. Go in there, click that link, and take the survey. It asks you questions, how we are doing about the podcast, your favorite parts, your least favorite parts, how we can improve, how we can structure everything to, to get better going forward. Believe it or not, every year we look at these things, we comb over every single answer, and we come up with a game plan for how to make things different next year. Uh, and a lot of it, you know, last year we got a lot of feedback about our episodes were too long. And so we dialed it back and we took a lot of, you know, uh, care to, to make sure that our episodes weren't that long and it lasted all the way until like November. And then we started hey, having two hour episodes a again. Solid 11 months. I'd say that's a victory. That's, that's true. Yeah. But we do, we are looking for feedback. We are looking for ways to make everything uh, better for your listening experience because that's ultimately who we're doing it for. So uh, constructive criticism is very, very, very welcome. And uh, yeah, we're looking forward to another year of Rain of Troy goodness. Yeah, that uh, is the plan indeed. Uh, but first, let's get into this. USC and Iowa in the Holiday Bowl. We'll come right back to begin with the news and then get right into the game. We'll be right back. So let's get into the big news. Uh, Marquis Stepp, uncertain on if he will play or not Friday night in the Holiday Bowl between USC and Iowa. Uh, and kind of the same deal for Drew Richmond. USC's right tackle, he's questionable with a foot sprain. Uh, Stepp has had that ankle injury that he suffered against Arizona back in October, so it's been a while for him. But Drew Richmond, something that just kind of happened uh, during bowl prep practices. Yeah, so the foot sprain has him sort of questionable day to day. Uh, if he's not able to play, apparently Jalen McKenzie, you would expect, is the guy who will slide over to right tackle. And then taking Jalen McKenzie's spot at right guard 
would then be Liam Jimmins. So not a terrible step down because I do like Jalen McKenzie uh, as a as a replacement for Drew Richmond. Um, and Liam Jimmins has done well when he when he's uh, or done you know up and down like any other offensive lineman on this offensive line, but he he's stood in okay. So I don't think it's a huge concern, but it would be a huge bummer for Drew Richmond to end his Trojan career brief as it as it's been uh, by missing out on the bowl game, but. You know, foot sprains, I don't know. I Like, that's the kind of thing. If it was an ankle sprain, I'd feel more confident in being able to diagnose, well, they could just tape it up and have him go. But like a foot sprain, I don't know how much that impacts an offensive lineman compared to an ankle sprain or, or any one of those other kinds of injuries. So that's something to monitor as, as we get to, to the end of this week. Yeah, SC's going to have to be healthy if they want to win this game against Iowa. Let's get right into the game prediction this is an, a, a very good Iowa Hawkeyes team. The Iowa Hawkeyes team that you always think of when you think about the Iowa Hawkeyes. This is, this is it. Uh, they are a team that are, they're going to lose to the teams that are better than them. Uh, they're going to beat everybody else and they're going to challenge every team on their schedule and be very frustrating to play against. They are nine and three. There are only three losses with the teams that ranked higher than them. Wisconsin, Penn State, Michigan, all of those games close, all of them tight. They have not played a team with with the athletic um, offensive playmakers that USC has. They they skipped Ohio State this year. They didn't get to play them. Indiana has a vertical passing game. They did not play the Hoosiers uh, in Big Ten play. But this is a team who is very stout defensively. They've got a tremendous defensive end in AJ Epinesa who can absolutely wreak havoc uh, for USC, similar to the way that Kayvon Thibodeau did for Oregon or similar to any of the, the litany of guys who have given USC trouble uh, on the offensive line uh, or from the defensive line to the offensive line uh, so far this year. This is a team you need to be prepared and um, well-coached to beat, and that's something that where USC has kind of struggled in uh, for a little while now. Yeah, well, like, like you said, this is a team that takes care of business and doesn't mess around. And you can see that in their three losses, they haven't lost by more than a touchdown all season. That's three losses to ranked teams all close. They lost by seven to Michigan, a three to ten game. That's I did not watch that game. I have no interest in going there back and watching that game. Plenty of punts. Plenty of punts. Yeah, uh, they also lost to Penn State, seventeen to twelve. So again, a, a tight game against a good Penn State team. And they lost twenty-four to twenty-two to Wisconsin, another good Wisconsin team that I think is going to really challenge an Oregon team that blew the pants off of USC. You know, if you'd have given me those three score lines, 24-22, 17-12, and said and 10-3, and said, okay, one team played in all of these games. What is that one team? Iowa. You would have said Iowa. Yeah. 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 I mean, and, and the other ranked team that they played this year was Minnesota, who they beat, and that's a 23-19 game. So, yeah. you know, they're winning games. They only, they're playing games in one particular way, and, and sometimes they're coming out on top, uh, but uh, sometimes they're not. And when they're not, they're, they give a good accounting of themselves, which is kind of something that, for instance, you'd like to see USC do more often is if you're going to lose, at least give a good accounting of yourself. And, and that's a criticism that has been valid, I think, for USC going back several years is USC's losses aren't always – of a kind where you can sit back and go, you know, yeah, that's fine. Not not a big, no no uh, shame in that loss or anything in particular. So that's what Iowa does. And they are very, 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 very Big Tenny. I mean, this the is... The most Big Tenny. Extremely Big Tenny, to the point of almost being SECE. 
Um, they are a team built, built on defense and with a, an offense that just sort of like does the bare minimum and and gets it get you know wins games by scoring twenty six points because their their defense is is holding people and and not giving them any inch. Which we spent some time before we started recording trying to figure out like was that is is that big tenniness in this this stout Iowa defense is this because they're playing in the Big Ten or is this because they're really that good? It's it's a little bit hard to tell it sometimes, but they did you know holding Penn State. To ten points, that's nothing to scoff at. Holding, yeah. um, Michigan. Oh, sorry, Penn State seventeen points, nothing to scoff at. Holding Wisconsin to twenty four points, that's nothing to scoff at. And holding Michigan, I mean, sorry, Minnesota to nineteen points again, nothing to scoff at. So those are some good teams that they've played well. Yeah, those are teams that will drop fifty on the bad teams of the Big Ten. Uh, and Iowa is not a bad team. Iowa's a really good team, especially defensively, they held as we mentioned. Iowa fifth State and SP plus. Iowa State to seventeen. That's an Iowa State team that 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 score. What was that? I the eighteen to seventeen. Yes, the most El Asico score of all time. Extremely El Asico. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this is this is one of those teams that I I you know we we can say that that Iowa's the team that you don't want to watch on TV. But I, I swear to God, that is such a freaking compliment to Kirk Ferentz, right? For, for how well coached they are, and how um, by the book they play, and how you know frustrating they can be to to play against, and all those those nine a.m. kickoffs that that we see on ESPN right after game day that I was always in against, like you know Illinois or whoever. All those games are very frustrating to watch because you can see what they do to their opponents. And their opponents, yes, sometimes they don't challenge them. But USC is going to be able to challenge them with Keaton Slovis, with the, the litany of the receivers that USC has. Michael Pittman, Omar St. Brown, Tyler Vons, Drake London, and, and, and all those guys, I think, makes this a matchup that I'm super excited to see. If everyone comes to play. Well. Which is always the question mark in bowl games. Are... Is Iowa going to show up? Is SC going to show up? And are these teams going to put their best foot forward? Because if they do, I think the matchup between USC's offense and Iowa's defense is going to be freaking fun. Like, that's going to be good because you have a high-powered passing offense against a defense that doesn't give up anything. Well, but that's the big question, right? Uh, Is that we've now seen USC's offense hit their stride. And they've torn apart some some defenses that we didn't think that they were going to be able to tear apart, Cal, like Cal. Yeah. But Cal, by the end of that season... Cal is very Iowa light, right? Yes, yes, exactly. But Cal's defense, by the end of that season, was starting to show, show some cracks. So this is going to be an actually a very good test for Cliff Kingsbury and Keaton Slovis and all those guys to prove that what they put together at the end of that season is what will carry forward because this is a legitimate defense that they're going to have to overcome. And you say it might be, you know, it could be fun. It also could be really ugly for USC. Like, you have to acknowledge this possibility that USC could run into a wall that is Iowa. And this is the one question that I still have about um, about Graham Harrell's offense is we've seen what it can do in terms of putting up big points, but he still needs to prove that this offense can contend against really well-coached, disciplined, 
put together defenses on a, a, an upper level, on an upper scale. So this is a, actually a really, really nice test to see. And you bring up, like, will the teams be able to be, be ready to play? I hope they are because there's good reason. If you're Iowa, if you're Iowa, you go into this game, you get to travel to San Diego for the Holiday Bowl, you get to go up against USC, like, you should absolutely have stuff to play for. And as, as to my knowledge, none of Iowa's players are sitting out for any reason. Um, and if you're USC, there are a lot of reasons to play. And USC, to their credit, also has a lot of guys who are potentially draft guys who are not sitting out this bowl game, who want to play, didn't get to play in a bowl game last year. You have a lot of guys like Michael Pittman, who he, this is his final game in Cardinal and Gold. You, you had no question that he was going to play in this game. And he's the kind of guy who will be competitive no matter what is out there. And the guys who are staying, who are sticking around, they do have points to prove, I think, um, about what the the future of the Trojans holds. Will they be competitive against Alabama next year? Will they be able to springboard off of this season to be more competitive uh, next year? I think there's a lot to play for. And frankly, if USC doesn't come to play in this game, then, I mean, it's already kind of ugly, but it's it's going to be even more ugly if USC doesn't show some competitive fight and spirit in this one. And and I expect them to, you know, honestly, I expect them to come out and be revved for this. You expect them to fight on to victory? Oh, I expect them to fight on. I cannot get guarantee victories <laughs> here because USC is all, you know, USC plays hard all the time. We know that about USC playing hard. They have not given up for Clay Helton. But that doesn't mean they've they always play yeah. well. Right. Sure. Yeah. Uh, let, let's talk about this defense of the Hawkeyes. Fifth in scoring defense. Fifth in S&P Plus. Uh, they're only allowing 13.2 points per game, 12th in total defense, 14th in yards per play, uh, 11 in pass defense, 13th in defensive passer rating. This is a team that is going to be difficult for USC to gain yards against. Uh, we, we knew this going in, and it really all starts up front for, for the Hawkeyes with uh, A.J. Epinesa, two-time All-Big Ten first-teamer uh, at defensive end, an All-American second-teamer, nine sacks, 13 tackles for loss this year. Uh, four and a half came against Nebraska in the uh, the season finale, which is pretty solid for him. Uh, look out for Kristen uh, Welch at linebacker. He leads the team with 80 tackles. In the secondary, they've got Geno Stone and Jack Corner, two guys who have a ton of tackles, second and third on the team. And their best corner is Michael O.J. Mudia, who leads the team with three interceptions. He has 21 career starts this is again a good defense we keep saying that over and over and over and over and over again uh where does SC begin to attack them that's the good question um if you listen to Hithlere from the uh quack 12 podcast he was watching as he's a, a Oregon obviously so he was doing some scouting on Wisconsin so he was looking at Wisconsin playing Iowa and he sent me a message saying you know Iowa's DBs are very unathletic. And so he thought that USC was going to the the matchup with Michael Pittman and, um, you know, Tyler Vons and Amon Ross St. Brown, Drake London, all of those guys. Maybe, maybe, maybe we'll see some Kyle Ford out there. Um, So, you know, USC has some weapons to throw at them that uh, he thought that that was going to be a difficult matchup for Iowa, which it may be the case, but that's not the way that Iowa has necessarily given been been at their worst in any sense and defensively they haven't really been at their worst at all defensively uh they they have 
prevented teams from going off through the air. Uh, only a couple times they've given up even 300 yards passing in a game. And um, it's it's going to be very intriguing to see how USC's pass defense goes up against them because even if they are athletic, they've been able to keep people in front of them. They've been able to prevent uh, teams from racking up yards and racking up points and racking up pretty much anything through the air or through the ground for that matter, but across the board. So that's going to be the, the, the intriguing thing to see play out. The, the thing, one thing I tried to look back at was, okay, so we talked mentioned earlier, it's hard to get a sense for are Iowa's defensive numbers perhaps a uh, more an indication of the fact that they play in the Big Ten than anything? Because when you look at you know Big Twelve defenses, Pac twelve defenses, they're going up against more high powered offenses, so their numbers suffer as a result. Where the Big Ten, not exactly high powered offenses uh, to go around. So I was kind of looking at not just high power, but what offenses has Iowa faced that mirror USC in any way, shape, or form going to the air raid? And interestingly enough, in 2017, uh, Iowa played North Texas, which should sound familiar. That was the first year that Graham Harrell was coordinating at North Texas. And Iowa held North Texas to 14 points. So that's one thing, but it's also North Texas. It was also the first year of that uh, of that offense. The interesting thing, uh, looking, looking back to 2018, is that when they played Purdue, which Purdue is not a an air raid team proper, you know, not a capital A, uh, capital R air raid, but they are the passing offense of the big of the Big Ten, right? They're the the right. team that airs it out. Jeff Brom, yeah, in the Big Ten, and uh, Purdue put up thirty eight points on on Iowa last year. Um, a, a very similar Iowa team for for what it's worth. I think Iowa's defense is better this year, but still similar in results uh, last year as far as what they were doing. So. They can be gotten. It's just that this year they haven't really been gotten by anyone. Purdue put up 20 points. So I think it's interesting because I don't know that SC is going to score a lot of points in this game. But you think they're going to have yards? I think they can get yards. Uh, and this is going to be a slight spoiler alert to the to the over-under, these statistics I'm going to throw out here. But Iowa has, has allowed... Uh, 300 yards to three teams this season. 300 passing yards to three teams. Those are the only teams who have even had 200 yards. It's either 100 yards or, I mean, uh, 199 yards or less, or it's over 300 for Iowa's pass defense. There's no in-between. And it's really interesting because they faced two teams that had averages of 300-plus yards in the passing game per game. Iowa State, eighth in FBS. Purdue, 12th in FBS. Both of them averaged more than 300 yards passing per game, and they threw for exactly 327 yards passing against Iowa this year, which is more than their average. USC is 5th nationally in passing yards per game, 335.9, which, if anything, that tells you that SC's going to get about that average against Iowa if the trend holds. Mind you, it's a small trend to call it a trend, but what it tells me is that teams are still able to get their yards if they are a team that moves the ball through the air as their primary mode of travel. And that's what USC does. Well, then, so the, the, it leads to the observation, why has, is Iowa, why has their defense been so good in terms of preventing anyone from putting up points? The most points they've given up all season is 24 points. They did it to Wisconsin. They did it to Nebraska. So 24 points is their season high. So their defense is doing something right. And you said, like you said, if if yards are available to teams that actually are capable of doing it, 
what is it that they're doing right? Well, taking a look at the numbers, they aren't letting you score when you get into the red zone. They're second in the pa- in the Big Ten with a 41% touchdown percentage in the red zone. That is good for seventh nationally. So this is, again, if you want to point out worries for USC, yeah, I'm confident that USC can can go out and get some yards. Can USC finish drives is really arguably going to be the question that answers who wins this game and who doesn't. Who finishes the drive? USC's offense or Iowa's defense? And this is where the matchups with the DBs may come into play because if they haven't played anyone like Michael Pittman and Tyler Vons and Amon Rossi Brown and those guys in a red zone before, then we've seen those guys out battle. Um, but we've also seen USC's offense crumble at times in the red zone with the offensive line making uh, big mistakes or having letting guys through and Keaton Slovis getting sacked and strip sacked and you know his head taken off and all those kinds of things so this can go a a lot of different ways but I feel like that's going to be the thing that I'm paying the most attention to is is it's not enough for USC to get meaningless yards it's about capping those yards with points and Iowa does not give up points straight up does not give up points yeah and you're gonna you're gonna have to score those points to uh to win this game at the same point let's flip it over to Iowa's offense Iowa's offense is not great like no uh, like, like when I said that that Cal is Iowa light like I, I'm I'm not I I'm you're not mincing words no, there that's actual no, fact n- not at all uh you look at their rankings 99th in scoring 98th in total offense 86th in yards per play 97th in rushing offense 88th in yards per carry 67th in passing 90th in passer rating uh, this is not the offense that you would want to compete in the Big 12 with, certainly. Not the offense you probably don't want to compete in the in the Pac-12 with either, but they're just fine in the Big 10. If you pair them with the defense as good as Iowa's, you'll go 9-3, and three, as you should. Um, this is an, an offense led by Nate Stanley at quarterback. 38 consecutive starts. He's been around forever. Uh, and then he's got Tristan Wirfs uh, at, at right tackle, an All-American Big 10 lineman of the year. This is the Iowa offense that you imagine in your head. That's that's who they are. They're 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 led by their offensive line. They're led by a running back tandem that that is good, not great. Uh, Tyler Goodson, true freshman, leads the team with 590 rushing yards. Started the last three games, he takes over from Akai Sargent, who kind of lost the job after Goodson kind of emerged there. 543 yards, four touchdowns for him. Uh, outside, you got Amir Smith Marset uh, at wide receiver along with Nico Reggiani and Tyrone Tracy. All those guys are capable of getting yards, uh, but not necessarily a wide receiver core that you'd see in the Pac-12. Yeah, not at all. And and there are some intriguing, uh, intriguing situations there with those wide receivers, especially with Nate Stanley, a veteran quarterback. throwing. Who was the quarterback when USC played Wisconsin in the Holiday Bowl? Uh, I want to say it's a similar situation where there was nothing impressive about uh, him. It was uh, it was the guy who had the yips, right? Yeah, it was the guy who had the yips. Who's the guy who had the who yips? Who's the guy who had the yips? I, uh, uh, we I'll should look, know this. I'll, I'll look, look it up. Look it I'll up look while it. I'm saying this. But either way, I, if I remember correctly, it was there's nothing that intriguing about him except that he has so many starts under his belt that he's a veteran that's just going to take care of the business that's there. And that's Nate Stanley for you. Um, and the the receivers that he's throwing to, there's there's nothing really to write home about them except that they're all sort of capable. So uh, Nico Raggiani leads the team with 44 catches. He's the go-to guy. 
But uh, Smith Marset, Emir Smith Marset, is the guy who leads them in receiving and touchdowns. And what's interesting about him, something to note, he leads the team with uh, 675 yards receiving, but he also leads the team with 1,130 yards of all-purpose, which pairs along with his seven touchdowns are the most on the team, but they're not all receiving touchdowns. He has four receiving touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns, and a kick return touchdown. So uh, he's a, a Big Ten honorable mention who's going to be thrown at USC from different ways. If there's going to be some some razzle-dazzle, some you know c- confusion or sweeps or whatever it is that, that, that uh, Iowa's going to try to do to confuse USC, it'll be from him. So he's the guy to probably pay attention to in this offense. Alicia, Joel Stave. Stave. He's the Yip guy. That's the Yip guy. Yeah. But th- hadn't he had like 50,000 starts? He was there forever. Yeah. 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 He'd been there for forever, forever. Right. Um, uh, the One last thing on the wide receiver core, Tyrone Tracy has had 24 catches, 399 yards, and two touchdowns in the final six games of the season. So he hasn't been prolific through the whole season, but he has been one of the guys that they've turned to in the final in the final half uh, to to try and get this offense going, but like you talked about, it's not like you know they have these players; they're decent, but this is not an offense that's gonna you know tear you apart unless you're USC's defense and you're unreliable. So this is a USC defense that's going to give up 24 points. Well, and that's the the thing, and is, that's the 24 points is the the high of what is what Iowa needs to score essentially right. so, uh, in this game. But but that's the the, the thing that I'm. I'm curious how Iowa is going to try to attack USC because, in theory, if I was Iowa, I'd look at it and say, well, let's just run the ball. Just run the ball until USC proves they can stop uh, stop us because that's where USC's been um, – had some issues in the sense of not being able to consistently stop a running attack and maybe – not try to attack USC's secondary, which has actually been pretty decent and is kind of getting healthy at this stage. Well, is healthy at this stage. You got Talano Hufanga back. You got Isaiah Palomao back. You've got uh, all of your DBs all healthy at this wow. point, except for um, <laughs> except for Max Williams. I think everyone is pretty much good to go in that in that secondary. So um, I, I don't know. Like the, I think the temptation might be to have Nate Stanley be the guy for them in this game but at the same time like maybe being very big 10 three yards in a cloud of dust would almost think like that's the way that you got to work against usc yeah i i could i, I could see it i, I think that if, if you're i already you have to be you just want to play your game right be yourself uh usc's defense will be susceptible to something at some point uh you can go misdirection you can get those guys involved as well uh, watch the film. You know what to do uh, against USC's offense. Run a reverse or two. You know. Yeah. Take advantage of the edge. I mean. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, do that, and you'll you'll get your twenty points. Yeah. And then you hope your your defense holds SC to like seventeen, and boom, you you win the yeah. holiday. Ball. Well, that's how Iowa wins wins games. So yeah, and they they've got a kicker. Uh, who, you know, for being a defensive team, it makes sense that they have a kicker with a very defensive name, a very Norrisy name, uh, Keith Duncan. You're not getting that reference? I'm not getting that reference, no. Duncan Keith, uh, two-time Norris Trophy winner. Okay. From the Blackhawks, Duncan okay. Keith. No? Good, good for them. 
Sure. All right. Uh, <laughs> Keith Duncan is is their their kicker. Uh, consensus first team All American. Twenty nine made field goals this year. What does that mean, Alicia? Not only is it the sixth most all time in NCAA history, but it means that Iowa doesn't finish off drives either. Well, he's he, kicking two and a half field goals a game. He's he's twenty nine of thirty four. Michael, he's making two making and a half. two. He's attempting three kicks a game. That is insane. Which means they, they don't finish off drive. 29 of 34. And to USC's credit, where USC is very good defensively, is forcing teams to kick. Forcing teams to not finish off their drives. I mean, we've talked about this so much that if you look at where SC ranks in terms of yardage allowed, in terms of yards per play, all this stuff, they should be allowing way more points than they have because they force teams to, to not finish off their strikes. Well, and and this is where if you if USC's offense can get the touchdowns on the board when they get into the red zone, trade TDs if you're for trading FTs, TDs yeah. For, for, yeah, for field goals, you're, you're feeling good. But here's a fun stat. Uh, Iowa ranks second in the Big Ten in scoring percentage in the red zone. 94% scoring percentage in the red zone. Scoring percentage. You flip it over to touchdown percentage, and they drop all the way down to 11th in the Big Ten with a 52.63% touchdown scoring percentage. So you are correct. Iowa is getting into the red zone. They aren't finishing those red zone drives. They're kicking field goals, which... If you're USC's defense, and we know USC's defense has struggles, we know USC's defense is is wishy-washy at times, if all you're giving up is field goals to Iowa, you take that all day, every day, if you're USC's defense. that You can win a game like that. Uh, it will come down to, this game has to come down to what USC's offense creates. 100%. Uh, by the way, they, they've got a pretty, pretty, pretty good uh, punter also. Michael Sleep Dalton, which is a great name for a punter, I think. Uh, puts teams to sleep. Sleep Dalton is a yeah. great name. Like if you're gonna hyphenate, have one of your names be Sleep, <laughs> and it's just like rolls off the tongue there. Yeah, I wonder if he's related to uh, Andy Sleepy Dalton. Well, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I had a career long of seventy two last year against ASU. No, for you for ASU, he transferred from ASU oh, yeah. to okay. Iowa, and uh, yeah, he's got a he's got some range there. He has ten punts. Of 50 or more yards, uh, which is quite a lot. Quite a lot. So if punting oh is winning. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's take a quick break. We'll come right back to do some over-under and talk about this game a little bit more. So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I'll go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. All right, Alicia, we are coming into the final over under of the year. I have a 48 and 40 record. You are at 46, 42. It's bowl season. It's double or nothing. Everything's on the line. It it all comes down to this. Uh, Can you make up that deficit? We're going to find this out. It's uh, it's gonna be fun. What's your first over under? My first over under is twenty three point five points for Iowa. As has been mentioned, they score twenty four points essentially. Like they give up less than that, and they score more than that. So they're averaging twenty three point eight points per game. They have scored twenty four point seven times this season. By contrast, USC's defense is giving up twenty seven point eight points per game. And have held teams below 24 points just four times this season. But this is an Iowa offense we're talking about. 
not a Pac-12 offense. So can USC hold Iowa below their scoring average? That's all I ask. So I've, I've had a couple different views of this game in my head for the last couple of weeks. First one, I'm like, okay, the, the safe opinion here is that this is a 24-20 game. Flip a coin on whoever wins. They're going to win by 24-20. The more I think about it, though, there's points in this game. I think there's points on both sides. Give me the over. Oh. Oh, so we're already, the stakes are already about to be pretty high because I'm taking the under on this all one. All right, all right. Let's I'm do taking it. the under Let's on this one. Uh, my only fear, my only fear is that... Uh, if there are coaching changes going to be made and if there's sort of question marks in the defense and all this kind of stuff, maybe there's some uh, overriding like uh, off the field stuff that's, that's coming into play as far as how USC plays this game. But at the same time, at the same time, I'm thinking I won't be able to score that much. All right. It sounds like a little bit of a... I actually think this is a case of optimistic, Alicia. Well, I think USC can still lose this game 22 to 18 or something <laughs> stupid like that. So That's fair. That is yeah. fair. Uh, let's go to my first over-under. Over-under, 300 passing yards for USC. This is what I alluded to earlier. SC is fifth in the nation, averaging 335.9 yards per game. Iowa has only allowed 300-plus three times this season. Two of those... Iowa State and Purdue came against the only two teams that they faced with 300-yard averages in terms of passing yards. Minnesota also had 368 passing yards, the most of any Iowa opponent, uh, which outgained their average by well over 100. Uh, the, the Golden Gophers only averaging 251.2 passing yards per game, which is 51st. Uh, Alicia, does USC get to 300 passing yards we know that Keaton Slovis is on this streak. He's throwing for 400 yards every week right now. He threw for 515 against UCLA. Can I take it to 300? I like USC to get to 300. I really do. I I even might like USC to put up 400. Wow. While managing to also you're not. Gonna, you're going to mention four? I'm going to mention four. Wow, like I could see USC putting up four hundred. You want to do it? You want to do a bonus? Only scoring twenty one points. You want to do a bonus? Do you want to do a bonus over under uh, yeah, off the board? Three hundred and four hundred. Three hundred and four hundred. You want to just make it four hundred? No, I don't want to make it four hundred. Well, it would essentially if we're just if we're, I'm taking the over. So we're, I'm taking the over on three hundred too. Are you taking the over on four hundred? No, no. I would not take the over on four hundred. Would you take the over on three fifty? Because USC is averaging three thirty five. 350. 350. Would you take the over on 350? I'm inclined to say yes. What about 375? Says you're not going up to 400, but you'd you'd take it at 350. So where's your cutoff? 375 is probably the cutoff. So you wouldn't take the over on 375. So I'm going to make this the over under 375 then. And you're going to take the over and I'll take the under. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's, let's do it. Let's get nuts. Let's. I'm, I'm going crazy. I'm going balls to the wall. All like, right. you know, take it or Mid-game leave it. Mid-game adjustment here. Let's do it. All right. Let's so the, the new, if you're, if you're keeping track at home and you're playing playing along at home, the second over, or the first over under for me is over under 375 passing yards for USC. I am taking the under. You are taking the over. 
this is actually really good for me because now if SD comes out gonna win and struggles, <laughs> then it's an easy one for me. Yeah, I've set myself up for a big failure, but the, uh, swinging pretty hard Sweet. for the fences uh, if if this goes if Keaton comes through. All right, uh, what's your next one? All right, mine is two point five passing touchdowns for USC. Iowa has not given up more than two in any game this season. They've only given up twelve passing touchdowns all season across the board. So USC has gone five consecutive games with three or more passing touchdowns, including several four passing touchdown kind of games. So can USC get to three passing touchdowns against Iowa, which would be a quarter of what they've given up all season? Yeah. You're taking the over? I'm giving the over. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. I am also taking that over. Oh, good. Good, thank God. Yeah. I wasn't feeling confident about it, but... Yeah. The way I look at it... I think USC's going to score three touchdowns, and I think they're all going to be passing touchdowns. That's my thought, is if SC scoring touchdowns are going to be through the air more than likely, I can see a situation in which they get Marquis step back and they're able to... You know, try to pound it in from See, inside gonna, the five. I'm gonna be real mad when my my guy Vi scores two touchdowns and <laughs> I didn't believe in you, Vi. It could happen. It could absolutely happen. Uh, yeah, so we're both taking the over on two and a half passing touchdowns for the Trojans. My next over under is three and a half gains of twenty plus yards for USC on offense. Iowa has allowed only thirty one. All season, 31 20-plus yard gains. Only Clemson and Utah have allowed fewer. You do the math, that's like slightly more than 2.5 per game that Iowa has given up per game. The line is at 3.5 because the Trojans had 9 against UCLA. 9 gains of 20-plus yards, 8 of which came in the passing game. 1 was a 46-yard run by Stephen Carr. But... Over under three and a half gains of twenty plus yards for USC. Oh Lord, that's rough. Because in order to get the four hundred yards passing that I think USC is going to get, they have to, they have to. So I'm gonna, uh, I'll take the, I'll take the, I'll take the over. I'm taking the over too. Oof, oof. This is not good. We got to differ on some no. of these. Well, here. we're already differing on the I big know. ones, so yeah. Um, the way I look at it, again, I think there's yards in this game. I think there. I think there's points. I, I am going against the conventional logic here because, again, I think it's very simple to just say 24-20 is the final. One of these teams wins. I think that's well reasonable and everything, but. Remember the Nebraska game from a few years ago? How that just turned into a weird shootout? Yeah. I kind of see the same thing here. Maybe not a shootout like where they're in the 40s. Uh, maybe a shootout for Iowa's in the upper 20s. <laughs> but I still think there will be points in this game. See, my thing is, I don't know about the points, but I do think there will be big games. My, my concern would be if Iowa takes a page out of the BYU playbook and just sort of keeps everything in front of them. Right. Uh, that might be the thing that that prevents USC from getting those gains. But at the same time, USC has Michael Pittman's going to make two of those three point five catches on his own. Iowa like, had a, I mean, uh, sorry, in the BYU game, Michael Pittman had a thirty yard touchdown. Yeah, in the Washington game, which SC couldn't 
get any big plays. He had a 40-something yard touchdown pass. So he can still find ways to, to – all he needs – a couple of those, yeah, uh, and he can he can find ways to to make up those big plays for sure. I'm glad you mentioned the BYU game because that's going to be my prediction coming up. Yeah. All right, my next over under is point five kick returns of thirty yards or more. So will Iowa have a kick return of thirty yards or more? Is essentially the question. Um, I mentioned uh, Emir Smith Marset. He's their primary kick returner. He returned a kick for a touchdown against Nebraska at the end of the regular season, and it also had a 37-yard kick return versus Michigan. We've all seen how USC's kick return coverage has been this year. It has been no bueno. So is uh, is the kick return coverage going to be more on point in this game? Will they even be kicking for returns, or will Iowa get some some joy out of that? So these are 0.5 kick returns of 30-plus yards for Iowa. For Iowa. For Iowa? Yes. That's easy. That's an over. You're taking the over? I'm taking the over. Okay. You've, you've just seen what SC is going to be due for some sort of special teams breakdown at some point. Uh, the oh, only, we know that. The, yeah. the only way that this doesn't get an over is if Baxter goes straight up to the, the squibs or the, or the pooches, and he's been reluctant to do that until... Until something crazy happens, right? Which, like we saw against ASU. Uh, if that something crazy happens, then the over will be had. So yeah. give him the over. See, I think USC isn't going to be kicking for returns. I think that's that's what I'm I'm going with. So all right, I'm taking the under. Taking the under. Yes. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, let's go to my last over under. Over under one and a half. AJ Epinesa tackles for loss. He had at least one and a half in each of his last three games. He had four and a half against Nebraska in the season finale. Two-time All-Big Tenor uh, at uh, defensive end. Second-team All-American. 13 tackles for loss for the season. Nine sacks. He's someone who can get in the backfield and wreak havoc. Yeah, and if I'm Iowa, I set him up over the right tackle and go at him. Yep. So I'm taking the over on this. Yeah, I think he'll probably get a sack and a tackle for loss, at least. I tend to agree. I tend to agree with you there. So, give me the over as well. Uh, We got two more over-unders. So, it's going to be a game of eight this week, not just six. Uh, We got an email from Samuel from South Carolina. First one, ten and a half catches for Michael Pittman. Uh, Michael Pittman had a bunch of high-volume games in the month of November. We saw him with... You know, 13 against UCLA. He had a crap ton against ASU and a metric shitload against Cal. (laughs) And all this stuff in November. Can he get to 10.5 against the Iowa Hawkeyes? 10.5 is a lot. 10.5 is a lot. But I keep hearing Hithliday's voice in my head. So, <laughs> ten and a half is a lot, though. It is uh, a lot. Uh, we we set the line uh, high last week and against UCLA, and, and, and he, he, he lo and behold, he got, got it. it. Yeah. Uh, um, I am loath to doubt Michael Pittman here, but I like. I th- I think it's more likely that he'll be at like nine catches or ten catches than eleven. 
So I'm just going to go safe. I'm playing it safe. I'm going with the under here. And if Michael Pittman does me dirty there, then that's fine. Well, I wanted to take the under. But now... I want to make this game fun. Give me the freaking the over. Uh, all right. Give me the over. So Michael Pittman's going to play a role in this. Give me The reason I would take the under, and the reason I think the under is the, the right move, is because I don't know if there's going to be that many plays in this game. That's fair. I was a team that's going to be slow and prodding, right? So it's gonna, they're going to take the air out of the ball a little bit. And so you're not going to have that many plays to be really shootouty. Whereas UCLA, you know, in the end of the season, either they were going three and out, and so that was getting USC the ball right back, or they were going on these long, quick drives in which they were moving the ball pretty well. So it was helping USC have a lot of opportunities with the ball. I don't know that that's going to be the case, but I'm going to take the over because I doubted Michael Pittman last time, and we got to make this fun. This is the championship yep. over under. So yep. this, is, this is you doing an onside kick coming back from halftime. Just for fun. I'm I'm winning. So, yeah. oh, you mean, you know, just for fun? Just for fun. Okay. Just because right. sure. going for broke. Sure. Yep. Giving you a chance. All right. It's running a, a, a raft here. Uh, but Michael Pittman might have no, no, uh, he's not obligated to, to let you have that raft. He is we'll not. We'll he see. is certainly not. All right. Samuel's last one over under. Uh, 170.0 as a fourth quarter passer rating for Keaton Slovis. Slovis so far this season in the fourth quarter. These numbers are just completely not safe for work. (laughs) He's completed 77.9% of his passes for 729 yards, eight touchdowns, no picks with a passer rating of 206.82. That's that's good, right? That's that's dirty. That's just kind of kind of a little bit good. Just a little bit. Yeah. Just just a little bit. Yeah. Oh, buddy. 170. 170. 170. In the fourth quarter. 170. Um, hmm. Hmm. I'm going to stall for a second while I pull up some situational stats for Iowa and see what kind of fourth quarter defense they've given up. Okay. Fourth quarter Iowa defense. The passer rating for the fourth quarter is... 96.99, which is their lowest of any quarter. Um, they have given up two touchdowns. They've had four interceptions. They've allowed 51.1% pass completion. Oof. Oof. Um, I was not hoping... I was hoping for something a little bit more ambiguous than that. <laughs> um, okay. Uh I'm going to go under. I'm going to go under. I'm doubting people, but I'm going under. Because that's that's a lot. 170 is a lot. Over. Oh, buddy. Give me the freaking over. I think this is a case of optimistic, Michael? I don't think so. I, I He just not, not threw a pick. Don't throw a pick in the fourth quarter. And I've, I've wrapped this title up, baby. It's right up there. Right there for me. Yeah. Don't throw don't don't throw a fourth quarter pick. And no, that's that's when I was gotten most of their interceptions in the fourth quarter. Desperate teams. That's true. That's true. Keaton's good in the fourth quarter. That's all I'm saying. Uh game predictions. Bill Connolly has Iowa winning 28-26 with a 54% win probability for the Hawkeyes. Vegas has got the Hawks by 2. Alisa, what say you? I like that that Bill Connolly 
score prediction. Uh, but I also think I was going to score less than 24 points. So I'm taking it down to 23-21 Iowa over USC. Wow. Wow. Okay. Oh, wow. That was a good one. Yeah. Can do that it. was a good one. Uh, let's go here. USC wins this game 30-26. to 30-26. to Yeah. Hell of a lot of field goals in there. USC gets <laughs> three touchdowns and two field goals, and Iowa gets two touchdowns and uh, four field goals. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Field goals. If USC scores 30 points, and we, know, we don't do the rod index anymore, but I would, I'll say my own personal rod index. If USC scores 30 points in this game, they will win. We'll get. If they score 30 points and lose, just pack everything on. Yeah. Just- Bye-bye, Clan Spender Ghost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, to say the least. Uh, we'll be right back with the mailbag. You've got mail. All right, ladies, let's start with Full of Nopes, who says, Stanley isn't special. Talking about Nate, Nate Stanley. And USC gets sacks. Any reason to expect anything other than a ball control game? I mean... I think it will be a ball control game, but USC isn't, like, I don't think they consistently get sacks, and they are going up against a pair of tackles that are actually quite good. Um, The right tackle is an All-American, the left tackle is an All-Big Ten third-teamer, I think, or second-teamer, so I don't think the sacks are necessarily going to be, like, a given. Um, The good thing is USC will be healthy up front, which uh, healthy and revived. I think J2 Fele and Marlon Tupelotu have kind of been a little bit beat up. So they might be helped out by having some time off. Drake Jackson will be helped out by having some more practice time and and the like. So that's there. But at the same time, like, I don't know that that's something to bank on being the case because Iowa does have a decent offensive line. So the way I've looked at it, and I I mentioned that I'm glad you brought up the BYU game. I think this is going to play out like the BYU game. I think Iowa's offense um, is going to have some success, but they lack the playmakers of BYU in terms of Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson was yeah, really, that's the big really difference, good, right? I, I don't know that Nate Stanley is going to be Zach Wilson esque in terms of his ability to just change the game, but. BYU and Iowa, I think, are very similar in a lot of ways offensively. Uh, defensively, I, th- I think it's going to be similar in the sense that I think SC is going to be frustrated. And they might have to find different ways to score. Uh, they might have to, you know, claw and, and, and scrape and all that stuff. But in that BYU game, I think people forget SC fought back in that game to force overtime. First of all, SC took the lead early in the fourth quarter on a great drive from Keaton Slovis and with Michael Pittman involved. He also, Slovis got SC into overtime before he threw the final interception. So SC had success against that defense when they needed it. They just didn't have it for long stretches of that game. So I think it's going to be very similar. The difference being, I think Slovis is a little bit older uh, and... It's a it's a it's a bowl game, and I think Iowa's going to be more prone to to airing it out and trying stuff. I think you can. There, there's nothing. Iowa has nothing to lose in this game. Literally nothing. So I I don't know that it's going to be strictly ball control because of that. So I think that opens up the game 
uh, on offense for them a little bit, which in turn should open up both sides of the ball for both teams. Uh, Yeah, I could see it. But at the same time, this could also just end up being a really, really ugly game that doesn't turn like it, it could be like the the holiday bowl from four years ago against yeah, wisconsin yeah. yeah yeah and that's the that's the question except keaton's probably not throwing short of the sticks on fourth down <laughs> yeah passing up a hail mary yeah 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 so yeah uh Villanova says what's the plan to match iowa's physicality do we think there's a plan <laughs> i don't i don't i don't know i, I don't know that there. I don't know how you plan for something. That like that's that. kind of my feeling too. Is like that you, you, you either are or you aren't. Yeah, at this point, you you just are what you are, right? Yeah. So I I don't know that you plan for that outside of something like you try to beat them with speed. Yeah, which USC could in theory do. Yes. And like that's the big thing is if USC takes the game out of the trenches, you want to talk physicality in the wide receiver core. USC has physical receivers. Yeah. Pittman, so, Vons, Amonra, all those guys willing to use their hands. So that may be something that shoulder. that's how you you battle the physicality that Iowa will bring in the trenches by just getting physical on the outside and making them win. You know, don't 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 play YOLO ball, but embrace the idea of our receivers are going to win those battles over your receivers if you're USC looking at it. Yep, for sure. Uh, let's go to an email we got from Samuel. Uh, hey, Michael and Lacey, I'm going to jump straight to the point. I watched Clay Helton's press conference after signing day, and he said the biggest thing for them was focusing on their need, which he said was linemen. He got a lot of hate online for that, and rightfully so, as this class is last in the Pac-12. Oregon State has a better class than us, and that's pitiful. But I was wondering just how valid that point is. Uh, did we have a small number of spots open? And while that shouldn't matter too much, look at previous classes with small spots in their national ranking, is it a non-factor or is it? Fight on until next time. Merry Christmas, Samuel from South Carolina. Yeah, thank you for the uh, for the question or the email, Samuel. Here's the problem. I think there is a case to be made for USC having the small class and thus not having a very highly ranked class. I think there is a case on the surface absent of any other things. For instance, the 2012, uh, sorry, the 2013 class had 12 players in it. It was only ranked 13, even though all of those were five-star guys, five-star and four-star guys, and they still weren't top 10. So again, you can make the argument that a a lower ranked class was always going to be inevitable in a class where they were going to have to take sub 20 in terms of, of open scholarship spots. There's also an argument to be made in that light that if USC needed to stock up on offensive and defensive linemen, then let's go through their fertile recruiting ground, right? California. Um, let's see. I'm, I'm scrolling through the top 10 California. Not a single player who plays in the trenches. Uh, it takes till you get to number 12th in the conference. I mean, in, in the state before you hit Miles Moreau from modern day, an offensive lineman. So that's one in the top 15. Uh, keep on going, keep on going, keep on going, keep on going. Uh, Jeffrey Percy out of Jay Sarah is another four-star offensive tackle who's going to Michigan at 25. So there are two offensive linemen in the top 25. The third offensive lineman in the top 30 is Jonah Monheim, who's coming to USC. Uh, keep going down, keep going down. You hit the first defensive lineman in Omar Norman Lott, who's going to ASU. That's the top 30. So not exactly plentiful as far as the top-rated players. Those are all the four-stars. The top 30 are the only four-stars in, in the state. 
So if you're looking at four-star, five-star players who play at the positions that USC needs, yeah, there's not that many that were available. Um, We can have a conversation about why is USC letting Omar Norman Lott go to ASU and why is USC letting uh, Jeffrey Percy go to Michigan and why is USC letting Miles Moreau, certainly why is USC letting Miles Moreau from modern day go to Washington. We can have those conversations, but not exactly room there to load up on the offensive linemen that USC needs in the state of California. The flip side, the counter to that is, okay, we accept that USC needed to go after the offensive linemen. They went into Texas, found some diamonds in the rough. They they found their guys. They still have room for seven, eight, nine other players. And frankly, that's where they could have picked up some recruiting juices as far as like the 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 big names that you get. They had a commitment from Bryce Young. They chose not to recruit DJ Ugalele. Uh, they missed out on Justin Flo. They took a swing at Kendall Milton, the four-star running back who's going to Georgia. Um, they had a chance at Calabasas's Jermaine Burton. He's going to to Georgia. Uh, they may still get Gary Bryan Jr., so that's one. But you can't tell me that they weren't in for Johnny Wilson from Calabasas. He's going to ASU. Um, Elijah Badger, probably going to ASU. Wide receiver, had a chance at him. Um Going down the line, down the line. Darren Green Warren, probably going to Michigan, missing out on him. Trayshawn Holden, going to Alabama, missing out on him from Nor- Narbonne. Like, we can go down the line. There were players to salvage this class in that top 25 of California. At positions, the USC is going to take uh, about, players. About Trayshawn Holden, by the way, committed uh, to Alabama before he went to Narbonne. He was from Baltimore. That's fair. So. Okay, fine. Not not totally an in-state no, but e- guy either, the whole way. But way. either way, someone who's in the backyard now, right? And so... Yeah. Uh, rest in peace, Gauchos. Uh, but this is this is a situation that's very similar to this past season. In a vacuum, yes, the injuries having to do with Keaton Slovis um, and his maturation as the season went on; those are things that that and having to go down to, to Matt Fink; those are reasons that you know they're not the worst reasons for being eight and four. I think there's 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 validity to that, and in a vacuum that makes sense. And this wasn't Clay Helton's worst coaching performance, and blah blah blah, all that stuff. Yes, sure, give it to you. But this isn't in a vacuum. There are other things at play. You can absolutely say that the ranking was not going to be as high because you needed to go after need uh, and and low numbers. But that doesn't excuse a a ranking that's seventy eighth. Like that, well, the low, that, that's that's an excuse to to throw out there when it's eighteenth. It didn't matter when it's twenty eighth. It didn't matter how many numbers you were. If Justin Flo wanted to come to USC, you would have taken him. Yeah, no and, question. And, and then on top of that, why are you in the situation where you have to go out and get all these offensive linemen? Well, yeah, because you missed out on all the dudes last year. You missed out on Penny Sewell, who is... You missed out on Penny Sewell the year before. Who is... You missed out on Sean Ryan last year. Yeah. You missed out on Jonah Jonah T. from Narbonne last yeah. year. Like, all these dudes you could have had. Yeah. That were... That that you certainly put all your eggs in the basket of, and you didn't get. Yeah. If you would have gotten those dudes, you wouldn't have been in the situation you are in now. So, like, the only yeah. excuse for being... For... For... Being 78th is, A, this is what happens when you're 5-7, and seven, but also this is what happens when you're 5-7 and seven and you miss on dudes in classes before. 
and then have to make up for it in a class that doesn't have that many dudes to make up on those dudes with, right? Yeah, I mean, it's... Again, so th- so there's excuses only go so far. The, the excuse the, and and we won't even call them excuses. The explanations only go so far. Like there is validity to these things, but in they small don't small fractions. Yes, in small fractions. They, no matter what you spin, letting Justin Flo go to Oregon is a failure of epic proportions. No matter how you spin it, you cannot let the number one player, the top five player in your backyard, go to a a, a rival. In, in your conference. No. No. Bad USC. No. Yeah. I mean, it's it's that simple. It's really that simple. Especially the year after the number one recruit in the nation... Goes to Oregon. Goes to Oregon when he was at Oaks Christian. Because you didn't, you didn't recruit him, allegedly. Right. Yes. Which, if 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 the decision for, for not going after Thibodeau is to put all the eggs in the back of Drake Jackson, and Drake Jackson has just as much of a career... Sure, that's one thing. If you want to argue one year in its totality, fine. But when it happens back-to-back years with Justin Flo, when there's nobody else that you picked over Justin Flo, like, no. that It's a trend at that point. Yeah, yeah, that's the issue. Yeah. Uh, let's go to text message from Greg. Uh, does USC's recruiting class kill the, quote, USC recruits itself narrative? Well, I never bought into the USC recruits itself narrative. I think it's yes and no, though, right? Well, in the sense that, for instance, I think the USC recruits itself narrative um, lessens the impact of someone like T. Martin, who is genuinely a great recruiter, uh, lessens the impact of some of the great recruiters that USC has had on staff in past years. And losing those recruiters makes it much harder. Like, USC can't sit back and do nothing and have everyone come to, to, to play for them. My argument on the recruiting side of things is that if USC is winning, the recruiting is a lot easier. And I know we always talk about like Gerard Martinez says that players don't care about wins and losses. But I've always taken that to mean like players don't care about an individual win or an individual loss when they're on their official visit or whatever it is. They care. Are you going to are they going to have a chance to win things? And are they going are you going to give them a chance to go to the NFL? And if USC is winning things, if USC is 10 and 2 every season, they will have players going into the NFL every year and that in in that sense it will recruit itself to a point. But USC can't recruit itself if it's not winning and if it's not turning guys into the NFL. And yeah, sure you'll get some guys who are legacies who decided they always wanted to go to USC, but you'll also end up having guys like Justin Flo who was destined for USC or DJ uh Ugalele, who is getting attention from everywhere else. And even though he wanted to go to USC growing up, if Clemson's paying him more mind, he's going to see Clemson as his stepping board to, well, I can win a national title there. Where you look at USC and it's like, well, they're not even like paying that much attention to me. So USC has never recruited itself. USC has given itself easier time recruiting. I, I, I think USC recruits itself in the sense that USC is a program who, when they're at their best, they are better than anyone remotely close in terms of geography. So it's the obvious fit. On top of that, SC recruits better with fewer staff members, like, you know, support staff guys, than anyone else. And so that lends itself to making that argument still. I think the argument works. Like, good USC is going to recruit no matter what. But you still have to be good USA. You can't be bad USA. 
But that said, bad USC should be recruiting better than 78th. Well, yes. Yes, so. absolutely. But bad USC, I, <laughs> a team who thinks that they recruit themselves and then stumbles and falls will land at 78th because they didn't put in the work that it takes. The USC, I've made this analogy before. USC is the smart kid in high school who gets to college and then suddenly it's hard and they don't have to try where the, the kid who wasn't that smart in high school and had to try the whole time gets to college and continues to try really hard the whole time and then maybe they get the C and they have to work really hard for the C, but at least they get the C. The smart kid who never had to work for an A in their life in high school gets to college and then all of a sudden they fail the class because you actually have to put in the work. Yeah. Uh, Alicia, are you talking about somebody? Am I talking about myself? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just wondering. Just yeah. Curious. Yeah. I mean, Sorry but that's me on a spot there. I uh, know, I know, I know, no. But uh, I, I, I had those moments. I know friends of mine who had those moments. You realize that eventually, and college football players have those moments where they could run past everyone in high school. You get to college, and all of a sudden, everyone is as fast as you. So what? De- what differentiates the Adore Jackson from the Whitney Lewis or whatever? Right. So, so things definitely changed. You know, coming from Notre Dame, then. <laughs> <laughs> Notre Dame High School preparatory college prep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, anyways, email from George in Texas, uh, who just says Lane Kiffin on the job for a week with half a staff is thirty eight places higher than SC in the twenty twenty recruiting cycle. Just in case you wanted to know, we did want to know, George. Thank you. <laughs> I had somebody somebody added me in a tweet. Uh, I think it was uh, Nikki or Nick. Um, I don't remember the last name, but they they added me in a tweet going like, would USC fans rather have six years of Lane Kiffin, but no Nick Saban, sorry, no Urban Meyer at the end, or keep Clay Helton until 2023, but then get three years of Urban Meyer? And I was kind of sitting there going like, to be quite honest, I'd take Lane Kiffin at this point because I can't anymore. (laughs) I can't be that patient. Just, Just for the change? Just for the change, yeah. I think the answer is, is you take Clay Helton until to, you get Urban Meyer. Yeah, you because you get Urban Meyer. Because I don't think that I don't think that Lane Kiffin is is that much better than no. Clay Helton. He's going to recruit though. He's he's going to make sure that the recruiting doesn't fall to seventy eighth. Yeah, but yeah, let's go to an email from uh, Andrew in Buckeye Country. Yeah, so this email from Andrew says, "Hello, Michael and Alicia. I'm writing you to talk about a divide within the fan base when it comes to where the current program is." Often I see people defend the team no matter what, and there are others who will boycott the program. Those who say defend no matter what see those who are boycotting as, quote, not true fans, and those who are boycotting see the defenders as being apathetic. When it comes to college sports, that puts fans in a tough spot as they always support the players but often don't like what coaches and administrators do. That passion is often frequently confused with fans hating on the kids. With the coaches and kids so tightly interwoven together, trying to separate them is often lost on many fans. When fans are fine with a team going 8-4 and four year in and year out and point to injuries as an excuse, that might work at lesser programs, but that doesn't work here at USC. There should be no excuse in the world for USC with its talent that heads above that is heads above every other team in the weak Pac-12 to not be holding up the conference title every year. These kids always have played hard, with the exception of the Oregon game, but the coaches have to set up the players to succeed, and we've seen that in four-plus seasons of Helton, he, he's nowhere close to them being ready to compete for the playoffs and rarely ready to win the conference. That's all on the coaches. 
Also, as of today, that's uh, December 12th, 2019, USC is currently last in Pac-12 recruiting. The fans who are the most vocal for change uh, have and will never will. Uh, they have and never will hate the kids. They just don't know how to properly express their frustrations that don't come off as being unsupportive of the kids. When you're fine with the team repeatedly going eight and four, settling on them having a home in the Holiday Bowl and making up excuses, then I see that as being a problem. I see Helton all too often not making the right choices when it comes to staff, i.e. going after Cliff, letting T go, and going after Graham, until he's forced to by Heritage Hall. He's also fine with not rocking the boat and demanding more from the school. While I'm not a fan at all of Helton, I'm optimistic about the players doing well next season, aside from them getting destroyed by Bama. Helton's style of development leads a whole lot to be desired, and the kids often just slide on pure talent to get by. With these recruiting classes being super low, I don't know how long Helton can get by. How many Slovises and Sams are we going to find going forward if we are rated last to the near bottom? More resources are being given to the team and program, but I'll believe it when I see it. I believe the main problems that are plaguing this team aren't solely on Helton's head. It lies in Heritage Hall, where many admins are keeping the program from gaining any ground, and are not willing to give up any control or power. With Sosna coming in, hopefully things will change in that regard, but with Fultz going behind Bone's back and preventing him from doing what she originally said she let him do at his introductory press conference, letting him hire and fire whomever he wants, who knows what he can do now. Until then, being medium will be the default flavor around the team, and that's extremely disappointing. Hopefully good times are ahead, but I'm not counting on that happening anytime soon. I honestly don't know if I'll be watching the team next year after watching every game I could. I just don't know. I'm tired of being medium. Thanks for letting me rant. Fight on. Andrew from Buckeye Country. Thanks for the long, long email, Andrew. Uh, I I think it's well said to put it to put it all into uh, those words. I mean, there's there's apathy at play. There's there's distrust. There's a million things at play here for why USC fans kind of feel, or a lot of them feel a little at a, at a crossroads. Well, and I think the the biggest thing that Andrew gets to there is that it's sort of over Helton's head. Helton is doing what he can do. I don't think anyone sits here thinking Helton isn't doing the best that he's capable of. Um, He's limited as a head coach, and we know that. USC struggles preceded Helton. They go beyond Helton, and I think it really does come down to the admin. And I would even say, you know, there's it's not a coincidence that USC gets a new university president and a new AD and still the same problems persist. That's because there is a rot in the program that uh, that needs to get sort of taken out. And part of that is the way that USC has done things. That's the the people who have been there for a long time, the systems that are in place, all that kind of stuff. So I'm still willing to give Carol Fultz a little bit of, of credit here in that they're changing the board of trustees and how that whole situation is is uh, is organized. And Mike Bone, I think I think that it's unfair the way that everyone has turned on him as quickly as they've turned on him. Going from the White Knight to now this, you know, uh, this idiot who doesn't know what the, what the heck he's doing. He stepped into a situation that was pretty difficult. And while I can disagree with the decision he made, I don't think it was an easy decision to make. I don't think it was as easy as people make it out to be when you're dealing with real dollars and cents. So I'm going to judge Mike Bone on where he go, where he goes from here. Um, but it's not a good situation for USC in the administrative level. And getting rid of Helton alone won't solve that. I think there are a lot of other things that have to that have to be done. Yeah, and I, I just want to point out, I did say you know, like 
slow the roll on anointing <laughs> Mike Bone as the greatest athletic director of all time. He's going to be judged on his actions, not his words. And, um, yeah, I mean, people are all after Mike Bone right now because of the decision that he made, the actions. Even though, yeah, I, I, I agree that it's a complex decision when you have to include everything else that's behind the scenes. And it's difficult for him, too. And I put this on Twitter, you know, a couple weeks ago. He can't come out here with full transparency and, like, say, X, Y, and Z were the reasons that, that he's keeping Clay Helton if there's other reasons. If there's reasons that, that he have that, that, that he has that validate his his stance or validate his role in all this, he can't be he can't make everyone privy to those, which makes it very difficult for him. Um at the same point, he's the face of the program right now. And so he's going to get the brunt of the, the the flack. That's just how it works. That's the job he's the job well, he signed up for. That's why he's making the money he's making. Like, yeah, I would kill to make the money he's making. So who's Mike Bone? Eh, not bad. Okay, <laughs> getting better. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I will take a quick break, and we'll come back to get to more emails. We'll right back. Uh, Alicia, let's start to wrap this puppy up with a long email we got from Randy. Yeah, Randy says, hey guys, early signing day has come and gone and the results are worse than I could have imagined. We all knew that coming off a 5-7 and seven season and with Helton being on the hot seat for the past two seasons, that this was going to be a down year for recruiting. But honestly, I never thought it would be this disappointing. I know that this will help fuel the fires that are raging against Helton, but it makes me wonder if recruiting and Clay's tenure as, co- tenure as coach was doomed from the beginning due to lack of support from the administration. The landscape of college football has changed so much over the past 30 years, but not at USC. They still think, quote, offer them and they will come. Yes, USC is located in the recruiting hotbed of Southern California, but these days it's just it's just as easy for an out-of-state program to reach out and keep in touch with a recruit as it is for the local program. The elite programs have large recruiting support staffs with graphic design teams. They make sure the recruits feel the love throughout the recruiting process 24-7, 365. Also, USC seems to think that they can recruit solely on the basis of past history and them being a top 15 academic university with great networking. That might work with 90% of the recruits, but I think the top elite recruits are looking for for the coaching staff that will help them reach the next level. So for USC to return to the ranks of the elite on the field, they need to start acting like an elite program. For that, they have for that to happen. They need to one show uh, have a show of stability. USC needs to commit fully to Clay Helton or move on to a new coach. Waiting so long to make a decision on Clay this year and then only committing to the 2020 season killed any chance of landing. Top recruits. Until recruits feel confident that the coaching staff they commit to will be there, recruiting will continue to suffer. 2. Coaching staff. Open up the purse strings and bring in only the best coaches. Add more quality control assistance. Until top recruits feel that they will be developed to their maximum potential, recruiting will continue to suffer. 3. Recruiting support staff. Bring recruiting into the 21st century. We need to enlarge the recruiting staff, including a great graphic design team. Recruits want to feel the love. Four, facilities. Upgrade the facilities to accommodate the increased staff size. Five, the administration needs to grow a pair. The administration needs to get tough. Why didn't we fight the NCAA sanctions? Why didn't they fight for Todd McNair? Why didn't they fight to bring Reggie back? And when the Pac-12 negotiates a new TV deal, they need to make sure the school's share of match share matches what USC means to the conference. If we are a blue blood program, we need to start acting like it. I know this will take a significant amount of money, 
but the administration needs to look at it like an investment. It takes money to make money. They will surely reap the benefits down the road, and if they ever wanted to hire the likes of Meyer, Stoop, Saban, or Swinney, they would uh, they would demand most of the things to be in place before they signed a contract anyways. The administration needs to remember what USC football stands for and bring it back to prominence. Let me know what you think. What would you add to the list? As always, thank you for all you do. I hope you have the happiest of holidays. Fight on forever. Merry Christmas to all. Randy from Redlands. A Christmas baby, 1957. Well, happy birthday, Randy, tomorrow. I, I Christmas baby being the 25th, I'm assuming. Yeah, happy birthday indeed. Uh, another great email, Randy. I, I think you hit on all those points. SC needs to get with the program. Yeah. And, you know, you you can't sell kids that you're a blue, blue blood and that you're an elite program and not act as if. And that's been USC's biggest problem. Yeah. They have the history of the Blue Bloods. They don't act like it in terms of how they, they, they walk. Well, and the interesting thing... They, they, they talk thing, it, they don't walk it. Yeah. Not with the money. Certainly not with the money. The interesting thing is that the, the question of like the Pac-12 TV deals and stuff like that, it's unfortunate because USC was in a much better position to negotiate those back the last time it got negotiated. USC needs to get in stronger where from where it is for the next TV deal, if they're even going to, you know, puff out their chest and act like they get more pieces of the pie. I think this TV deal is going to be fascinating because I have been in the mindset. The bubble's going to burst, right? That's what I've been in the mindset of. Like, the bubble's going to burst. You know, everyone's cutting the cord. Like, the bubble's absolutely going to burst and all this stuff. And the money will 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 not be there quite in the same way. Uh, it might still go up, but it's not going to go. Not going to take the same jump. Maybe I'm completely out of my mind, out of my depth. Because I mean, have you heard about this SEC deal? What's the SEC deal? Oh my god! So this this comes from Sports Business Daily. Uh, quote: CBS will walk away from the SEC when its contract ends after the 2023 season, and all indications are that the package will move to ESPN ABC. CBS decided to exit the negotiations for college football's most-watched TV package after making an aggressive build bid in the neighborhood of $300 million per season, a massive increase from the $55 million it currently pays. Yeah. From $55 to $300 million. Yeah. That's, that's 12 times. That's absurd. That's absurd. 12. But the problem is that the Pac-12. Like, like, first of all, how stupid are these TV negotiations? I don't TV network people. The bur- bubble's already bursting. Why are you raising up the price twelve times? Right, the people are cutting the cord, all that. Kind- like, I don't. Uh, unless ESPN is trying to put stuff on like ESPN Plus or whatever that they're calling it now. Like, I don't. I don't know. It's beyond me. Uh, I I got no. I got no clue. This is not my realm. All I know is that the Pac-12 needs to figure out a way to catch up revenue wise to in these ways and USC can be a stronger negotiator there but I don't know how much they're actually going to have in terms of juice behind their negotiations by the time this comes around yeah who are you telling uh let's go to an email we got from Alan hi Alicia and Michael love the podcast I want to try to move forward from the quote retain Clay Helton fiasco and ask about the draft eligible players on the squad who is likely to forego their career at USC and move on to the pro ranks? Where do they hear about the possible draft ranking? And when is the deadline to decide? Thanks and happy holidays, Alan, class of 1977. 
Thanks for the email, Alan. Um, deadline to decide is in mid-January, uh, usually around the 15th, 16th. I'm not sure what day it falls on this year, but mid-January. And uh, the guys who are draft eligible that are underclassmen, the biggest one is probably Austin Jackson. Um, I've seen mock drafts with him as high as top 10. Uh, some have him first round. Some don't have him first round. So it's sort of all over the place. But he is a guy who will test really well. Uh, so there is an argument to say that um, his prospects suggest that he should just jump to the NFL. Elijah Vera Tucker is another one, uh, left guard, who will have a decision to make, we think, uh, going forward as far as whether or not he might be ready to jump to the NFL after what was a quite solid season for him. Uh, let's see. Tyler Vaughn's could move on. That one's intriguing. I don't know. I feel like Tyler Vaughn's might, if he wants to go, he can go. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting one because I don't know I don't what think, he's going to prove anything. I don't think Tyler Vaughn's can Tyler prove Vaughn's, his draft stock. Yeah, he is what he is. He's, yeah. he's a very good receiver. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's someone who's going to ever be a first round pick. And I don't think he's going to test off the charts. So I don't know where he's. So it really, how much does he enjoy the college experience would be my question that I have for him. Right. We know like Michael Pittman flat out said uh, during uh, holiday bowl practices, man, like I wish I could come back. Like I, I wish that I had another year of eligibility to come back. So I don't know if that's the way that Tyler Vons thinks. He has said all of the guys who are draft eligible have said, you know, they're waiting until after the bowl game to, to t- sit down and talk to their families and make those decisions. So Tyler Vons is one who could go. Um, he could also stay. I could see it going both ways. I'm not sure what's going on in his head. I, I, I would think it'd be interesting if you're Tyler Vons, do you come back and try to put up Michael Pittman numbers next well, year? If I think he's absolutely capable. If you're sure, Tyler right? Vons, you could cut. If you're Tyler Vons and you, and I don't know if this is how he looks at things, but he might, he might not. No judgment either way. Different people look at things differently. But like for me, I always look at it like if I was a football player, I would want to etch my name in the history books, right? So if I'm Tyler Vons, I want to come back and be an All American. I want to come back and get my name as high up on the USC receiving charts as possible. And if he comes back next year, he will have an opportunity to get up there among the the, the best wide receivers in, in USC history in terms of pure numbers. So that would be something that could draw him back. But not all players care about that kind of stuff. Not all players view that as their overriding thing. And some players just want to go ahead and get started in their their NFL life. And I could hardly blame them because that's a lot of money going on there. So uh, Tyler Vons is one. Um, technically, J2 Fele, Marlon Tupelotu, Brandon Peely, all are eligible. Um, am I missing anybody who's who's eligible? Uh, no one else off the top of my head. Uh, C- Stephen Carr, uh, the, the running backs. Yeah, Stephen Carr, Vimal Pei could could go if they want to. I think both of them should come back um, at this point. Stephen Carr is always someone who I thought was going to be three and done. Yeah. But given his his injuries, I think he's got to come back. Yeah. He's not going to get drafted. He could do the George Farmer thing where he just says, screw it. I just need to get in there and prove myself there instead of putting more wear and tear on my body without getting paid for it. Like That's That's a valid argument. Yeah. But I still think he should come back. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Uh, Last email comes from Jackson, Virginia. Hey, Michael and Alicia. Happy holidays. Thank you for all the work you do. I just love the podcast. And thank you for the Rain and Troy community. Hope you have a wonderful holiday season. Fight on, Jackson in Virginia. You too. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy Festivus. Happy whatever you celebrate. Whatever you celebrate, we hope yeah. you're having a good time doing it. It's yep. a it's a festive time. We here at Rain and Troy are all about having fun 
And uh, and that's what we're, you know, uh, having fun and not just having fun, but like appreciating what you have, I think, is the best thing about the the holiday season. Right. Uh, Being around family, being around friends, being around your communities and just enjoying life and appreciating life. So that's uh, that's what what we're trying to do. And uh, hopefully you guys all want to, you know, appreciate life with us on Boxing Day at uh, the local (laughs) the meetup. Yeah. What's your Christmas look like? What's my What's my Christmas look like? Yeah. What's What's your What's your plan for Christmas? Uh, so my family always does Christmas Eve. So we have Christmas Eve at my parents' house, and that's with uh, my my parents and my aunt and uncle and um, my grandmother and some family friends and sort of all the adopted, unofficially adopted children that we have and uh, significant others and the like. And so we do a, a white elephant on Christmas Eve. And then on Christmas, my whole family gets together in the morning for opening presents, my immediate family, and then we go to my aunt's house for Christmas dinner. And then Boxing Day, I'll be watching soccer in San Diego. And doing a meetup. And doing a meetup, yeah. Yeah, Indeed. Festive. Uh, I, for Christmas Day, we, just me and my parents, and I don't know what we're doing. I have no idea. My mom wants to play cards, so it's probably just going to be like both of us playing like gin rummy or something. Teacher of the bean game? I could. Yeah. She's played the bean game before. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we'll see uh, if uh, if that might be a good idea. Getting my dad to learn it, though. That's that, the struggle? That'd be that'd be the struggle bus. Yeah. My, my dad never wants to play anything. He says it's because he's too competitive and he, he doesn't want to, to get those competitive juices flowing. But, like, everyone's competitive and that's what makes it fun. I think the reality is he just doesn't want to lose. I, I if you say that you don't want to play th- something because you're too competitive, it's it's an acknowledgement, a tacit acknowledgement that you are afraid of of losing and thus being a poor sport. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, definitely what well, it is, unquestionably. Yeah. yeah. If you're listening to this, you're, you're probably not. <laughs> we we love you, but, but seriously, Mr. Casillo, if you're listening to this, go play the bean game. It's yeah, fun. Yeah, play the game. Just learn it. It's okay. Learn it. It's fine. Yeah. All right, uh, that's going to wrap up this episode. Thank you guys, as always. Again, the the survey is in the podcast description. Look at it. Click on it. Takes like five minutes. Fill out what we do good, what we do bad, what how we can, we can help, uh, grow the show, whatever we need to do in your mind, um, how we can improve what we struggle at, what we succeed at, and so that we can make the show the best we can because we strive to be the uh, the people's podcast. So that's what we want. Exactly. That's what we're looking for. Yes, indeedy. Uh, until the car cast, we will see you. See you. See you. See you. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line. 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older. But Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.